Welcome to Warren Radio, Radio with your hosts, the Watchman Dana Smith and Tower. Thanks for listening. Greetings and welcome to Warren Radio Advocacy and Gospel News for the Persecuted Church. I am Tower and we are glad you joined us. Today is Wednesday the 13th day of May, 2020. And the reading in the word this week is Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through chapter 27, verse 34. Jeremiah 16, verses 19 through chapter 17, verse 14. Also Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 6 through 27. The New Testament portion is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, and 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Warren Radio Advocacy Broadcast for the Persecuted Church is a fast-moving gospel news program. All correspondence and inquiries of the WIBR Warren Radio Network can be sent to us through our contact page on warren-usa.com. Be sure to follow the WIBR Warren Radio on Twitter, and you can find us by hashtag WatchmanIS216 or hashtag Warren Radio. On LinkedIn, we are hashtag Watchmen, and join us on USA.life and MeWe using hashtag Warn Radio. And the Warn Radio Network is available through the following carriers, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, iTunes Player, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, Warren Radio Visions on Blog Talk Radio, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Google Pad, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Anchor, and Podchaser. You can also listen to the shows by going to warren-usa.com or danaglinsmith.com. Please take time to read the pertinent articles by the Watchmen. They're inspired and they apply to the day and age which we are living. And this week we feature the epic saga of responsibility. It was on Pentecost 2017 that I took to writing the saga of responsibility as it had occurred and and revealed to me. The message is short and the saga is quick but the truth can be learned if you have ears to hear and a heart to receive. Thus, the epic saga of responsibility is the charge given, the witnesses revealed, and the testimony spoken concerning these things. The Lord's Lighthouse Keeper A city on a hill cannot be hid, nor can a lighthouse that is brightly shining on a tie outcrop on the rocky cliffs overlooking the seas of life. Keep the lighthouse maintained so that the light will shine out for all those passing by in the stormy seas of life or in the dark of night. And righteousness in an age of lawlessness. 
Righteousness confronts the age of lawlessness. Living righteous in a time of uncertainty, pride, trouble, and immorality, peace is a moment that many people seek in life. And now I invite the watchman. You're listening to Warren Radio on the WIBR Warren Radio Network. Don't forget to visit our websites at warren-usa.com and danaglinsmith.com. And also follow us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, and join us on LinkedIn. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing good. What's going on? Well, we've got a lot of good stories up front, a lot of things going on. And, uh, of course, in our neck of the woods, more uh, of the economy has opened up, more businesses are open up. They continue to warn, however, various... uh, various uh, articles and people who write them that, you know, there could always be another one. Well, you know, I can't believe how negative, pessimistic everybody is. No, I know. uh, It's crazy. You know, the, the bottom line of it is, is that people need to learn that, uh, nothing's given. You know, you got to stand up by faith. You got to move forward, and the consequences is not good. So we don't have any choice in our neck of the woods and a lot of other places. And for the big cities to just turn around and say they're going to shut them down for three months—that's idiocy. Uh, I, I heard <laughs> yeah. again from California that they weren't going to open up until a. a you know, uh, a cure, you know, uh, a vaccination. Shot, yeah. Was available. Oh, well, good luck there. You. Yeah. And, uh, when this began, I told tower and this is from various research. It takes a year and a half to two years to develop a, a, a vaccine. Now, of course, Trump is hurrying it up. And, uh, you know, he put the, he told the people to hurry it up and develop one. People are working on it. I've seen a lot of research, but it takes time to develop it. And if you think that your economy can wait until you uh, get this thing fixed, uh, you know, you got another thing coming. And there's a lot of this. It has to do exclusively with the Democrats who hate Trump, that they're willing to, uh, you know, sacrifice on their altar you know, whatever it takes in order to get rid of Trump. And, of course, they would blame him for anything that happens because they're too gutless to take the responsibility themselves. So, uh, you know, we are in in a bad time right now when it comes to these things. But when we look around the world, uh, Christianity Today um, reported on a, a number of reports available. There are lots of reports out there, folks. 
it's interesting to note that in this particular report, they have 1.8 million Muslims in Chinese concentration camps. We've reported on that. They have another 910,000 Rohingya Muslim refugees in Bangladesh, and then a million Muslim residents excluded from the National Register of Citizens in India. And uh, they went overboard telling you about the Muslims in this report, and they they minimized the Christians. They said 171 Eritrean Christians arrested, 50,000 Christians held in North Korean prison camps. Now, this alone is mm-hmm. idiocy because there's no way anybody knows how many Christians are held in North Korean prison camps. In addition, nobody knows how many Christians are in North Korea that are being oppressed by this regime. So all of this, you got to take it with a a grain of salt because it didn't, you know, many people haven't said anything about, uh, you know, when we talk about Syria and Iraq and how uh, people you know, the Christians got totally wiped out in here, in this whole area, not to mention, you know, they even called it genocide on the Christians and genocide on other people groups in there. So there's a lot of oppression when we talk about this, and you can find a lot of various things on it. But, uh, you know, up front in in some of our stuff, uh, we have uh, Greece uh, refugee camps. This comes from Evangelical Focus. And they were talking about the Moria refugee camp in Lesbos, Greece. And, of course, if you know that Greece and a lot of the islands there in the Mediterranean are the first steps for a lot of those who are fleeing Africa, There was another picture in the news, another uh, thing in the news showing uh, a boat unloading about 80 to 90 refugees out of Africa. They were all black. They were all dressed in black. They had a little bit of red on them. They were all male. There was no females in the picture. They were all male. They were all coming from Africa. More than likely, they were all young Muslim men. And, of course, they want in uh, to Europe. And, of course, there again, it makes you wonder if they're jihadists or not. But nevertheless, this this is a problem. You know, Africa is a mess right now, and so is other parts in the Middle East. Um, and, of course, the, in the refugee camps, the big problem you have is trying to, uh, you know, how do you take care of these people? And uh, according to Human Rights Watch, uh, Rights Watch uh, uh, and we're talking about one camp, especially in Moria, M-O-R-I-A. They were not prepared for the COVID. I mean, we can pretty much say that a lot of them uh, aren't ready for them. And uh, they said you have one faucet for every 1,300 people and one toilet for every 167 and one shower for yeah. every 200, according Great to grief. Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, I mean... You know, but then you look at it like, well, you look at this. There is no way that a lot of these countries and even Europe can get prepared when you leave your countries and all pack around in one place. They can't do it. It, You know, there's just no way you can take care of. There is going to be suffering. Even if the U.N. gets involved, we have read stories of some of the problems there. 
And if we talk about Samaritan's Purse trying to uh, trying to help out, Samaritan's Purse can only do so much, and they're already in a lot of places, and they move out. And so it, it, it's uh, uh, since mid-April, though, there has been a, a gain team on the island. I'm not sure what gain is, but uh, they uh, did some preventative quarantine, and... Uh, a uh, second group leaves uh, has already left uh, to go to Lesbos, uh, and of course, uh, by the time of this story, that have already been there. And uh, of course, uh, gain is uh, uh, gain in Spain, and uh, that's kind of some funny gain in Spain. <laughs> yeah. uh, in these times, the director said. Uh, we feel that the hope we have found in Jesus is more transcendental than ever. That hope is expressed in acts of love and sacrifice by people in situations of extreme vulnerability, such as those who live in Moria, and God calls us to bring that hope in a relevant way where darkness and suffering reign. And so this is a ministry going into the Greek. Uh, I was, of course, in the Greek uh, and, and you know, you have the Greek Orthodox Church, which is um, uh, an outgrowth of the Catholic Church. And in Spain, you have the Catholic Church as well. Um, they all have influences from the original Roman Church. Uh, and, of course, if we talk about another upfront story, um, we talk about food aid. And this is not new. This story... Uh, has to do with India. And a pastor by the name of Pastor James, who went to collect food uh, from the central Indian government, uh, and uh, the only way that he could, now see, they distribute it to the local Hindu areas, and then everybody goes to get their food. Well, if you go there and you're a Christian, nine times out of ten, they give you nothing or very little and all the major stuff goes to the Hindus. And, and uh, uh, you know, I remember over 20 years ago when probably about 20, 18 to 20 years ago, uh, we were dealing with uh, some people in various parts of India, and they reported again and again that the food aid was not getting to them, that uh, the government was not giving it to them. They would give it to the others, but not to them. And, of course, the pastor, Pastor James here, went to get it, and they said that he he wouldn't get any unless he renounced his faith. So he went home empty-handed. And, of course, this is something that, that we're talking about right now in order to let you understand that the only way these people can find help is that if people like us support people uh, that are on the ground, like Barnabas Aid and, and uh, many others, uh, Samaritan's Purse, and uh, that are on the ground distributing food. That's the only way they're going to get it. And so this this is the thing that uh, you have to understand. Now, One Local uh, is another ministry that that we have uh, been uh, in contact with, and they go they were going through with some money to help people. I forgot how much money uh, a month 
you know, each family needed, but they were taking it and they were even giving it to the other people if they could distributing it out. Uh, but, you know, China, uh, India is a huge place to say that, uh, you know, these people, you know, aren't going to give food equally. And unfortunately, this is what we see. Yes, unfortunately. Now, an, another article we're looking at, another story is out of Iran. And Iran has been methodically over many years persecuting Christians. And, you know, when you talk about having a church, there is no church for them. If you talk about meeting in houses, that's really dangerous. But they do that anyway. Sometimes they can they get caught because the Iranian government, just like other governments like China and North Korea, actually reward its its citizens if they snitch on their neighbors. If they see too many people outside, uh, too many people walking into a place, if they're too loud, then they end up getting busted by the local police. And so in an article coming out of Open Doors USA, they were talking about this particular, the, the coronavirus in Iran. Um, one particular attendee by the name of Salome, um, who is an online worker but works remotely with believers in Iran, said as soon as the outbreak of the virus was announced, we stopped all of our face-to-face house church meetings. Everyone is obeying the rules and doesn't even visit his or her family. Iranian Christians, though, face significant question. Can a secret church continue to exist under a lockdown? And, of course, the big question, the big answer is, is that many times they're busted. But what they're seeing is, because of the online tools, now one of those things is MeWe, for instance, uh, I think another one is Telegram, uh, and both of those are very, very secure. Uh, you can't find out what's going on in various groups because it's totally secluded and private. And what happens is these Christians are able to have church and meet because of the tools they're able to access online. And this is what makes it so important. Now, see, for us, when we're getting the signal out, we do it through various apps that send this around the world. We also put it on a couple of ones uh, on our MeWe app that is very, very private, where people can actually uh, go to it and get the link and things like that. Now, Salome says, in this time of crisis, we have over 10 hours of prayer meetings every day. We created a special prayer schedule that we call Frontline, where prayer members can virtually walk in and out to come to pray together. And so, you know, you think about it. They're really utilizing this. 
And, of course, you know, when you're in Iran, you experience fear and anxiety. And, you know, she goes on to say our people are sitting at home all day long, and we help them to overcome that fear and anxiety and spend extra time with them through teaching, prayer, and worship sessions. Now, you see, you're doing this all online. You're building people up. Now, see, it was years and years ago that the Lord called me specifically online to do this end-time ministry online. And we've been doing it for over two decades, specifically targeting this. And this is really interesting when we look at closed countries. Now, even David Wilkerson many years ago was saying that even at that time, you know, this was before we had all the tools we have today. He was saying uh, of all of the people from closed countries that are actually listening to his broadcast uh, back then. So there is no doubt that the gospel is getting out of there. And and also Muslims and other groups that want to know about the Lord can actually do research online and find out more online and get connected to churches and people groups. Now, that's that's very important. Now, related to this is another story here. When you talk about Muslims finding the truth, and it's so important for you to understand that not everybody can just go to a church like in America or be safe at like we are in America, and we can confess we're Christians. We have our vice president's a Christian that prays. We have our president that prays. We have Pompano who, you know, they all have this Christian format, and they're not persecuted for it, although they're called out for it, but we're pretty much free. <clears throat> but you get in some countries, some places, it's dangerous. And Tower's got this one. Are you ready? Oh, I, yes. And I love this story. This is about um, uh, Kamal and he w- and Noor. Kamal was um, told to go to the market, and. Um, Oh, let's just. So, why would Kamal brave the Friday free for all? Only the most urgent of necessities even compelled him to attend. And even then, he avoided the central market area by using one of the less thriving entryways. But this particular Friday, he went because God had told him to go. And he knew with 100% certainty that God had an assignment waiting for him. He didn't know what it was, but he was used to trusting God in the face of the unknown. So when the market opened at eight, he was there. He was just standing there waiting and he was being, he found himself crushed and battered by the crowd while he waited for what he wasn't, wasn't sure what. And nor a committed Christian mother of eight spotted him in the con, and soon the purpose behind Kamal's strange errand became unmistakable. The woman in black began unfolding to Kamal details of the vivid dreams she had had the night before this meeting. Jesus walked with me alongside a lake, and he told me how much he loves me. 
I think my husband loved me at one time, but that love I felt in my dream, his love was different than anything I've ever experienced. I've never felt so much peace in my heart. I didn't want to leave and I didn't want him to leave. I asked this Jesus, why are you visiting me, a poor Muslim mother with eight children? And all he said was, I love you, Nor. I have given everything for you. I died for you. And she said, as he turned to leave, the last thing Jesus said was, ask my friend tomorrow about me. He will tell you all you need in order to understand why I visited you. But Jesus, who is your friend? I pleaded in my dream. Here is my friend, Jesus pointed behind us. He has been walking with us the whole time we've been together. Only partially veiled, nor stared at Kamal as if she had been looking for him her whole life. And she continued, before he said that, I had not noticed you, but you were there, standing nearby through the whole dream. Even though you had walked with us around the lake, I hadn't seen anyone but Jesus. I thought I was alone with him. His face was magnificent. I couldn't take my eyes off of him. Jesus did not tell me your name, but you were wearing the same clothes you have on right now, and your glasses, they're the same too. In my dream, your face radiated in a way that told me Jesus was indeed your friend. I knew I would not forget your smile. And the two sat down, and Kamal, um, he told Kamal, what is, that is, Kamal, excuse me, I'm sorry, Kamal told Noor his name and that he was a follower of Jesus. And she, he said, I've loved him with an undivided heart for 10 years now and am honored to have been in your dream. And she, he said, he told her, Jesus is touching the hearts of Muslims all over the world. He's calling them to salvation, real salvation, one at a time, by visiting them in dreams and visions. Is this your first dream about Jesus, he asked? Yes, it's my first. Will I have more dreams? And he measured his answer. You might have many dreams about Jesus. It depends on what he has plans for you. It could be this one dream is all you need. And he wondered briefly what the Lord had in mind for this woman. And he said, you must have many questions. About a thousand, she said. Is this a safe place to talk? And she understood the question behind the question. My husband is at work, and besides, he lost interest in me long ago. I'm his third wife, and last year he took a fourth. She's very young, her skin smooth, beautiful face, and shapely silhouette are all he can think about. I barely see him. He won't come looking for me. The anguish flickered across her face, but she wondered... Um, we are safe here. Tell me about Jesus. Calling you, Nor, he doesn't make random visits. Your dream has a purpose that will transform you on the inside. And he watched Nor to make sure she understand. She understood. Jesus wants you to be one of his followers. You have been privileged to have a personal visit from Jesus Christ. You are chosen, Nor. Even before you were born, Jesus planned this encounter with you. He has not yet appeared 
or and um he has not yet appeared to me like that like this but i pray that he does nor felt authority she could trust in kamal's voice and she sighed deeply and put her words to her first concern why would a prophet say that he died for me i have believed in him and we muslims respect him but he is much more than i thought he was I have never been loved like I was when Jesus walked with me in that dream, and I felt no fear. For the first time in my life, I felt no shame. Even though he's a man, I wasn't intimidated. I didn't feel threatened. I felt perfect peace. Kamal feared that discussing Islam could drive Nora away, but he boldly turned the conversation in that direction. That's what he wants to give you, Nor. Before he went to the cross, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. John fourteen twenty seven. You will not, cannot find peace like that with anyone else. No one but Jesus even has it to offer. Nor you spent your life searching for God through religion. I did the same thing. My religion was different than yours, but in the end, all religions amount to the same thing, frustration. They're filled with man-made rules that will simply get you, that, that will supposedly get you to God, but the fact is they don't. Do you ever feel frustrated like that, Nor? Yes, yes, I do every day. And he asked her, have you ever watched people after daily prayers? I've sat outside a mosque on Fridays of the, as the faithful come out from noon prayers. They never look very happy or fulfilled. They don't even have the kind of peace I see all over your face right now. Religion can't give you that. Your religion can't give you that. The words sink in. Are you asking me to leave Islam? And Kamal knew he'd stepped in the minefield. I'm not asking you to do anything, Nor, but Jesus is asking you to follow him. Do you believe your dream was real? I know it was real. It has shaken me to my core. I must find out all about him. Then I will do my best to answer every question you have. And they sat there for three hours, question and answering and she said in her frustration, she was exhausted and she needed to think about this. What do I do with all I've learned today? When I give my life to Jesus, I'm on it. I am new on the inside. Will I still be a Muslim? And Kamal didn't answer. Suddenly, Nor set up straight. The energy of resolve rose in her voice. I'm ready now. I want to follow Jesus. And Kamal asked her with this question, are you willing to be persecuted for Jesus. She sat silently. Jesus has made you a wonderful offer that only you have to accept. He is calling you. Are you willing to die for him? She seemed less shocked by that question. Is that what he's calling me to do? And, um, Now Kamal just stared through the Friday cat crowd, wondering again what this brave woman's future might hold. It could be your fate. 
Jesus told his followers on the night he was arrested that he would that there would be harsh persecutions for those who follow him. It's our privilege to suffer like he did. She said, um, and, and he told her that the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And she said Jesus was talking about Islam. He has to be. That's what happens to Muslims who convert. And um, so that's a really good story. She does come to the Lord. And I'd like to know more on that story, wouldn't you, Dana? I hope to hear more about her eight children. Well, there's no doubt. This is this is really good. And that is exactly where these ministries come in at. And uh, this particular website is a new website called IFoundTheTruth.com. It's probably been there for a long time. This is the first that uh, I have found the website, but it's a website designed for Muslims, and it has Muslim testimonies all over it. It has video as well as articles, and they have all kinds of questions for Muslims. And it's ran by a husband and wife team who've been ministering to Muslims for many, 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 many years. I found the truth.com, and you'll be able to get in on more. But we find these kind of experiences coming out of uh, the worst persecuted places on earth today and and even including in North Korea they have an active church that's hidden in North Korea uh there are believers in North Korea uh so uh live and well that's what we can say about all of this and this is an amazing amazing story and uh, we have uh, had uh, testimony from various people that are working in some of the harshest areas and these kind of uh, miraculous uh, events. Well, you know, what uh, I is, think is, is amazing, too, that Jesus told Nor, you can, um, my friend will tell you more about it or something, whatever Jesus said to her. And wouldn't that be, I, I think that's amazing. I think it would be awesome to be called a friend of God. You know, Jesus would say, I'm your, he, he's my friend. She's my friend. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think that was amazing in the dream. And uh, of course, if, if you're a skeptic and you don't believe things like this, the one thing we do know is that there is a move of God around the world. And during these times, like we're facing even right now, the COVID, there's locusts, uh, there's many things going on. This is when God, you know, reminds people. He touches their soul because many times they're upset and having a lot of trouble. Uh, in another one, Mission Network News talks about Sudan. And Sudan I wanted to bring up today again because uh, Sudan has been uh, in a long power struggle, persecution, violence, civil war for many, many years. And uh, Bashir, uh, Omar al-Bashir, was ousted uh, from power over a year ago, and he's facing several charges at the International Criminal Court. He has, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't know. 
Uh, he took part in the Darfur genocide that began in 2003. But just in the Darfur region uh, of Sudan, that violence there has been going on for 17 years. And so, you know, the, the problem that you get into is that the Christians that are there are easy targets. And so uh, uh, there is a program for theological education by, extinct, uh, by extension, by a particular ministry. And uh, uh, he says, Sudanese believers are staying strong in their faith. This is Victor Sadek who is the executive director. And he says, praise the Lord. There are many people love the Lord in Darfur and Sudan in spite of the war and difficult circumstances. And his courses offer accredited theological education and training for Arab Christians online and in small group programs. Because you have to not only bring them to the Lord, you got to disciple them. And so this particular is really good in Darfur. Um, Two groups of students have been studying uh, with this particular group for over a year. Most of them, or all of them, are from a Muslim background. There you go again, Tower. Um, yeah. They are not really allowed to study or to be registered in an official Bible school in Khartoum or even in Cairo in Egypt. So they need our system to be registered, to study, and to continue to be trained to help other families and other home churches in the area. It's not easy for Sudanese students. They don't have good Internet. They don't have facilities. We try to send the courses through the Internet so they can download these courses. Now, folks, this is exactly when we talk about, uh, you know, online, when we talk about reaching people around the world, this is where this comes in at. And so you'll never know the extent to what this has done to help foment the gospel, help to push the gospel in these restricted areas. You know it, Tower? Oh, I know. I just wish there was something. I, You know, wish, wish, whatever. I shouldn't say that. I don't like that word, but I sure would like to see more intervention for the Christians in these areas. It's well, I would what too. they have to go through. It is. It is horrible. And uh, so be sure to pray for the Christians in Sudan's Darfur and pray for all of Sudan and uh, pray for their training and their protection. Uh, because we, we find this all over. Uh, you know, there is need of workers. And the harvest is big. I can hear all that. What is that? Nothing. I'm not doing anything. I, I can hear something. Hear. There's something happening with this. I don't know. I don't know where all that comes from. Nevertheless, maybe maybe they don't hear it, but I do. I, I, and it's not coming from around here. Uh, at any rate, another thing that we're covering is in Europe, anti-Semitism. Now, in in dealing with uh, or uh, talking about Jerry Golden's ministry, who is set up in Israel to bring Jews home from Europe and other places, mainly Europe, because uh, they're in Israel. Um, they have boats set up and stuff like that to bring Jews out of the anti-Semitic areas of Europe. 
Now, CBN has reported, this was in May, of the anti-Semitism, again, rising in Europe. And uh, uh, Gary Bauer tells, uh, says that the story is bleak. He is one of nine commissioners. He sits on the U.S. Commission of International Religious Freedom. Now, they monitor and promote religious liberty and makes recommendation to the Trump administration. Now, if you remember, it was Donald Trump who actually put something in gear to monitor the persecution of Christians worldwide. And he specifically mm-hmm. addressed that issue. Uh, so Gary Bauer is on this commission. In 2019, he says that anti-Semitic incidents rose sharply across Europe. Uh, Germany saw a 12% increase. Uh, France is home to the largest Jewish population in Europe. It saw a 27% surge. And and we've heard about that. You know, that has been in the news in France. So there's been a lot. That's almost a third of them there, the 27. The Netherlands... Um, that's where Anne Frank is from, saw 35%. And so when you talk about anti-Semitism, Barr says it's like a coronavirus of the heart and soul. It seems to be able to mutate. It pops up everywhere in every century and seems to go in waves, and unfortunately we're experiencing one of those waves now. What we're seeing right now in the Islamic world, the Middle East, is disgusting. In some bizarre way, Jews are being blamed for the coronavirus, he says. <laughs> yeah. We see not only radical groups in the Middle East blaming Jews, but even journalists in countries like Jordan suggesting that the virus was made in an Israeli lab or made by Jewish scientists that they've unleashed to kill Muslims. Now, the bottom line of it is, is that if they're going to uh, prosecute or persecute or say Jews, uh, you know, derogatory, anti-Semitic, you can guarantee that they're going to target Christians shortly after that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's. Well, you uh, know, you know, with this, them saying that the Jews uh, made this in a lab to kill Muslims is absurd because Jews are not like that. Their mindset is not to kill Muslims. They go out and they help them. They, they don't even charge them. They'll bring them into the hospitals and they'll give them medical care, enabling them to have life. So that just, just is wrong for them to say that, but that's the way they are. That's the Muslim. Well, you know, and so there's another one, you know, praying for Israel. But you got to pray for the Jews in a lot of these areas. Even New York, we saw the governor uh, or the mayor of New York uh, threatening the Jews in a derogatory manner as well not too long ago. So <laughs> we do see uh, some anti-Semitic uh, attitudes in New York. We've seen this before, not just recently. Uh, It's been in the news. Now, in another story, we are talking about China again, and this is just a little story um, that uh, came out from BitterWinter.org. BitterWinter is uh, a website and news site that um, writes articles concerning China. And uh, 
so it's bitter winter. Uh, so at any rate, uh, are you ready this for is, this? Yeah, this is just horrible. Um, you know, as this deadly virus is still spreading through China and all the other things going on, the government is continuing their crackdown on the churches. They're um, not only destroying Christian churches, but the Buddhist temples as well. And um, on March 6th, a Buddhist temple was destroyed in um, the Hunan province. And 36 officials from the district government, Religious Affairs Bureau, Public Security Bureau, Criminal Investigation Brigade, and other law enforcement departments came to oversee the demolition of the temple. It was built 20, no, it was built 12 years ago at a cost of around $42,000. And they blocked the road to the temple. Two excavators were brought in, and an elderly resident stepped forward trying to stop the demolition, but the employees dragged her away and made sure that no one could approach the temple. And a local Buddhist told Bitter Winter that officials were ordered to destroy the temple because it lacked a religious activity venue registration certificate. However, the temple director has never been approached by any government institution asking him to obtain the certificate. The government just wanted to demolish the temple. People cannot argue with the authorities. They will accuse us of breaking law as they Please, judging from this situation, the country is about to perish. Protestant churches are also continuing to be targeted amid this coronavirus. Um, And not even the state-run three-self church was spared. Buildings are destroyed and congregations are harassed. And a church member from... Another town in the province of Henan told Bitter Winter on February 7th that officials came to the church to inspect if and see if uh, lockdown requirements were being implemented. But when they saw the Bible verses written on the blackboard, they berated us. China is the land of the Communist Party, and we are not allowed to hold religious beliefs. That's what they were told. With these words, they smashed everything in the venue and left, locking, locking the door, and they returned in the afternoon to take photos. And um, a government employee from Henan, another city told in the Henan province, that municipal authorities gave orders to each town and township government to conduct door-to-door inspections looking for re- religious couplets. And if they re- and they were instructed to remove any couplet they found immediately without exception and to cooperate with the Public Security Bureau and other departments to find out where they had been produced. And um, despite the raging coronavirus epidemic, each town government dispatched numerous personnel to look for these religious couplets. And if they found them, they were destroyed and they removed them from the entrance of a shop shop and 
claiming that anything mentioning God or Lord is banned. They threatened to close down this woman's shop if I post couplets again. Boy, they don't care. They just, they're out to destroy everything that isn't communist. Well, yeah, Christian couplets are little, um, little areas uh, in buildings where it's set aside for prayer and for meeting Christians, you know, et cetera, things like that. Um, We don't have any pictures on the inside, but the picture that Bitter Winter did provided, there's uh, about uh, 10 different little pictures they provided uh, and and of course, you know, it's simple in China. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is God, and uh, right. so this this is this is the issue when you deal with these things. And uh, you've got to make up your mind who you're going to serve. It's as simple as that. Although it's not simple, it, it is simple because the choice. Um, is one of those things you have to make up your mind. You know who you're going to serve. Um, now another story coming out of Saudi Arabia from Missions Ministries Online talks about church in Saudi Arabia. Now Saudi Arabia is known as more of a modern country, it's, and it's supposed to be doing a little better under the new prince that took over. They're supposed to be. He's even made promises uh, for churches themselves to be able to operate more fully. Uh, and so we don't know yet if he's going to be able to get that done. But uh, the, the church in Saudi Arabia is looking for believers to translate scripture and to lead churches. He says, uh, um, Abid al-Fadi, who speaks on this, says it's almost like the early church in the book of uh, Acts. And what they're talking about is the language, writing the language. And um there's two challenges uh, if you're going to be reaching Saudi Arabia, which was always really difficult. You have to find the right people to do the translations. Otherwise, if you rely on people who are non-believers or if you rely on people who are not from the region, you'll have some terminological and theological issues you have to deal with, which could cause the problems. He says sometimes they're busy with the job or concerned about being caught by their family or the government. It's one thing to produce the product. It's another to deliver it to the right church. So once you do translate the scripture, you have to make sure it gets to the right right place, the right people, uh, in order to be able to uh, be effective. So these are some of the challenges when you get over there, Um, you know, and especially – in uh, um, Saudi Arabia, and it's related, of course, uh, these people aren't related, but uh, Wycliffe Bible translators have been doing translating Bibles for uh, eons, it seems, forever. And uh, it's all about getting the Word of God translated in into their language so that they can learn what the Lord says. <clears throat> And uh, he says, kind of the, sub- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go go ahead. It just surprises me that uh, Saudi Arabia doesn't have a Bible in their own language. 
Well, you know, as he points out, there's a lot of different languages in Saudi Arabia. Little people groups are trying to reach. I don't, I don't know. I know that Saudi Arabia, you know, has been closed pretty much. I mean, um, you can go over there as an American Christian, but you can't have the Bible. Uh, at least you didn't used to be able to have the Bible carried around. I mean, there, there were definite laws. Um, and most of the time, everything had to be done underground. So I'm not really sure about all of that. This guy's dealing about the small church, getting them the Bible, um, he says uh, he met one man in person who leads a church for people in one of the language groups. Now, see, that's the way you disciple. He's teaching others. Right. That's good. Yeah. And matter of fact, you can find him through YouTube. That's kind of interesting. Um, and so he asked you to pray for the Christians in Saudi Arabia, that they will join together in house churches and the right materials will get to the right people. You need materials for these kind of things. It's just all there is to it. You need to be able to train the people. If you don't, if you don't do that, wolves will enter in and they will get destroyed. I mean, that's what it is. Wolves are always looking for that. Yep, that's for sure. And uh, we're getting pretty much the end, but we do have another story. This comes out of persecution.org. This is back in Nigeria. Um, A Nigerian gang member had kidnapped a seminary student in January, and he admitted that their group had killed the captive because he wouldn't stop proclaiming the gospel to his captors. This is so, so great. This is, here's, here's a guy a seminary student that they have taken and he spends his time preaching. Yeah. (laughs) Telling about God. He was a seminary student at the Good Shepherd Seminary in Kaduna State. Kaduna does have uh, quite a bit of trouble. He was wanting to be a priest and was studying to be able to do that. Um, Now, Mustafa Mohammed is supposed to be the one who masterminded the kidnapping. And uh, this young man spent his entire time in captivity trying to convince the kidnappers to turn from evil into Christ. Now, he, the seminary student was only one of four students uh, who was kidnapped from the school, but he was the only one killed. And the reason he was killed is because he wouldn't be quiet. He wouldn't stop telling them about the Lord. And because he wouldn't stop preaching to them from the moment he was kidnapped, even though they are Muslim, they killed him. And so these are the kind of things, you know, when you look at it, here's a kid that looked to be a priest. And he would have been a good priest. Yes, um, he would have. And, you know, this is a guy that, that gets murdered and killed for his faith. And, you know, when when you're dying for the Lord... That's you, you, there's no greater sacrifice, and he could have been quiet, but he wasn't. He died with the testimony of Christ on his lips. So yeah. continue to remember Nigeria and those who were trying to live for the Lord there. Uh, we see this around the world. 
and uh, it just amazes me. Anytime I see this, it amazes me. You know, especially when you're covering all the stuff that's going on in America and how we whine and whimper and screw around the way we do. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he had no fear. No fear. He was you just know. gonna preach. He didn't care. Yeah. He wanted to make sure yeah. they came to Christ. Yep. So at any rate, with that we're gonna to have to get out of here. We got a few minutes. Uh remember to go by our websites, Warren USA dot com, Dana dot com. And uh, if you want to join us on MeWe right now, I'm putting all of our articles on it. I haven't really got into a lot of discussion with other people or on our other one, which is uh, USA.life. And, uh, you know, if you want to go on over there and join up and become part of it and uh, attend and take it upon yourself to help us, that's fine. You can do that, but it'll be a while. Uh, So at any rate, check out our websites, go buy them, read the articles, share everything, and pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the states. Pray for the churches. Pray for the people. God's going to do his will, no matter what the world does. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. And with that, uh, you know, Tower, some of these stories, I think, were really moving when we talk about testimony. Yeah, they are very touching. And not just testimony, but the fact that there are people coming to the Lord overseas. We're seeing the miraculous. It's exciting to see that the miraculous and how God is moving in everybody in each person's life, each individual life, he knows what it takes and how to approach him so that they will come to him. That's true. Well, good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Whenever you do, we love you. We pray for you. Pray for your brethren around the world. We hope the best for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, folks, time for us to go. We'll see you next time. Remember tomorrow and Friday morning. So uh, you're listening to Warren Radio, the Watchman Alert Radio Network, and the WIBR, the Watchman Institute for Biblical Research. Check us out online. Shalom, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Warren Radio.